Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. All right, welcome into the show. It's good to be back with you, Dan, talking Giants football. And uh, real quick for our listeners, you can find the Giants Wire podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button for us. Leave a review if you could. We appreciate you. Okay, Dan, my son was born on October 8th, all right? I spent the last two weeks changing diapers and warming up bottles and picking out the cute little onesies, but it's enough of it, right? It's time to start talking some football again. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I've missed our Giants chats. Uh, how have you been, and have I missed anything? Uh, it's been a weird couple of weeks, that's for sure. There's no doubt about it. Sure. Uh, yeah, a lot of up and down. Uh, big surprise, big upset last week, you know, depending on who you ask, I suppose. Um, you know, you got the Kansas City Chiefs coming up, which is kind of an interesting matchup now, which we'll dive into in a little bit. Um, you know, lots of injuries. I think that's really been the headline over the last two weeks. It's just it's an almost unbelievable number of injuries, significant injuries at that, too. Not not little things and, and things of that nature, but season-ending injury. The Giants are now down three captains in total uh, for, the, for the remainder of the year with Cabral Peppers going down with a what they called a ruptured, not torn ACL, which sounds horrible. Yeah, does not sound a good. High ankle sprain. Yep. So yeah, it's it's been you know it's been an interesting ride the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's really been an interesting ride since Joe Judge took over. So I can't say that I'm surprised by the sudden turn of events and the fact that the Giants are staring down the barrel at potentially picking up a big win and getting back into things. So I guess that's where we stand. Yeah, no doubt. And the, uh, the injuries are piling up. So many big names. Jabril Peppers, just the latest. We'll get into some of that. Talk about the trade deadline, which is coming up on November 2nd a little bit later. Yeah, we'll get into the Chiefs game, too. An interesting little matchup. If you told me my Patriots would be tied with the Chiefs after seven weeks, Dan, I would have been, uh, been pretty excited. I would have thought we were going to the Super Bowl. But no, we're three and four tied with the Chiefs. What, what, a, what, a, what a time to be covering the NFL, right? That's one of the biggest oddities, I would say. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. So yeah, three points against the Titans last week. It's just mind-boggling. But yeah, I, Against the Titans team that lost to the Jets, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go figure. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Titans lose to the Jets and then beat the Bills and the Chiefs. Like, go figure. So, yeah, try to figure this thing out. And I definitely can't figure it out, Dan, because without you telling me what's going to happen with the Giants, and I think <laughs> I think you have been undefeated on the podcast, if I'm not mistaken, Um I definitely missed you in this area because when Sterling Shepard was ruled out, along with all the other guys, but I think uh, Shepard was ruled out kind of late, right? Game time decision. When he was ruled out and the Panthers were at minus three, I was like, you know what? I'm betting the Panthers. There's just no freaking chance. <laughs> who's, who's Daniel Jones going to throw? Dante Pettis? His running back is Devontae Booker? Like, you know, Darius Slayton's Giants, hobbled. Yeah. Well, yeah, what the, what the Giants ended up doing was just, hey, throw to Daniel Jones. Exactly. And he was uh, he was tremendous in this game, and I want to get into it. But it, it didn't start well, right? The Panthers no. marched right down the field on yeah. the opening drive for a field goal, and then I'm texting you on the goal line stand the Panthers had where, like, can we let Daniel Jones take a QB sneaker? Can we give it to the 235-pound Eli Penny on the, on the goal right. line? Can we try something? Right. Uh, so that was really frustrating, and, I you know, I thought – and you just thought, here we go again with the Giants. But I think a big takeaway with this game is the defense, right? Pressure on Sam Darnold. We've been begging for pressure, right? They pressure him on that third down where they get the safety. And then that was it, right? The defense kind of took over from there. The offense did enough. They score 
23 unanswered points after that safety and win the game 25-3. to Like, who the hell saw that coming? Definitely not me. Uh, but it's one to feel good about, right? The defense finally showed up. I think that's the big takeaway, along with the quarterback being uh, just uh, excellent in that game. But what do yeah. you think about that win over the Panthers? I mean, it was, it was big in all facets of the game. It was big. I mean, listen, the first two and a half quarters were not exactly uh, tremendous football. But the Giants, you know, they, they were grinding. They were, you know, the defense was certainly hanging in. They didn't look particularly wonderful on that first drive, of course, but I, I tend to toss away first drives just because I know that offenses come in scripted and they always have an advantage generally over the defense on the, you know, on that first offensive series on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, and you'll see me actually during game days, I'll say that often. Don't, you know, don't judge the Giants' offense based on what they do the first, you know, the first series. Don't judge the opposing team based on what they do the first series. The game usually settles in after that. And, after that initial series, um, you know, the Giants defense, they just, they, you know, they pin their ears back and they went crazy. And that's really kind of what we've been waiting for all season. And and you saw the balance that that created, not just up front with the guys getting pressure because the guys on the back end uh, were doing a better job covering and tackling, you know, kudos to Adoree Jackson, who I believe had his best game as a Giant. And certainly in the, in the realm of tackling was his, his best game because he's been pretty awful there all season. Uh, but that also allowed, you know, obviously, the, um, the edge rushers, the linebackers, some of the interior guys to, to put some pressure on Darnold. And then, of course, the offense started putting points on the board, and that takes you know some of the pressure off the defense, too. It allows them to be a little bit more uh, creative in the play calling. And you actually saw, you know, before Peppers went down injured, he recorded the Giants' first DB sack of the entire season, which is sort of remarkable when you think about how much that was schemed in under Graham last year. Uh, but all around, it was it was an impressive game. You know, the Panthers, obviously, they're not world beaters on the offensive side of the ball. But on the opposite end of that spectrum, they were a top 10 defense coming into that game. And the Giants, you know, after a rough first start, you know, first half to the game, they, they really settled in and, and did a great job. And I, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but credit to Jason Garrett for an excellent game plan. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, and especially in the second half, he kind of got things going a little bit. Yeah. And, Tremendous uh, adjustments at halftime. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, Let's talk about, I do want to get into more with the defense. I mean, I was wondering, and I put in my notes watching the game because I, I, it's hard for me to watch and know exactly what's going on, X's and O's. I'm not that smart, Dan. But I'm like, what is, what is Graham, like, let's ask Dan later, like, what is Patrick Graham drawing up here? But then I read Giants Wire, and you're like, they're not really drawing up much. It was just guys winning, like Aziz Ojolari, yeah. just winning at the line. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you're all over Sam Darnold, 16 pressures. I think I read that that was a season high on Giants Wire. They hit him 10 times, six sacks. And uh, he was seeing ghosts. So they, they, the Panthers benched their quarterback in this game. Yeah. So uh, that yeah. was awesome. But, right. you know, the drive I'm looking at here is the third quarter drive where I thought Daniel Jones, you know, the game was still you know, very unsettled at that point. But Daniel Jones kind of put the team on his back with just like this awesome drive where <laughs> he passes oh. for 34 yards. He rushes for 10 yards and he catches a 16 yard pass from Pettis, <laughs> right? And Daniel Jones rushing, passing, catching on that on that touchdown drive that ends with the pass to Pettis. Uh, that was the drive, man. That was where you could just you could feel it that the Giants were right. gonna were gonna take care of business in that game. Yeah, as soon as they scored that touchdown, I, I think anybody who was watching that game knew that it was over at that point. The momentum that that, particularly that catch, uh, the momentum that that created on both sides of the ball, and the Giants. What I really liked um, as well, and kudos to the coaching staff, is that on both sides of the ball, they didn't take their foot off the gas for the first time all season. They just hang up that thing, crammed down. And that was an issue with them last year. It's been an issue with them this year, particularly at the end of each half. Uh, they've really been struggling, but they but they just kept that foot all 
way down and uh, they didn't let up for a single second. And, you know, like you said, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, it wasn't so much that they were scheming any of that in. The guys were just finally winning. And that's, you know, that's, that's not something that's happened this season. And I think they kind of took some of the beatings personally. Uh, they took some of the criticism personally. And like you said, Jones looked great on the offensive side of the ball. I think they were doing much more scheming on the offensive side of the ball than they were the defensive side of the ball. They were doing a lot of rollouts, uh, a lot of screens, a lot of three-step drops, uh, basically anything they could to keep Jones on his feet and get the ball out of his hand as quickly as possible because, you know, the offensive line was obviously struggling. And I know in the aftermath of the game, everybody wants to credit the offensive line for the great job they did, uh, you know, not giving up many pressures, not giving up many sacks. But that was really a credit to Jason Garrett more than it was the offensive line. When you actually go back in and watch the film, the offensive line, I'm going to be honest, was not good. Um, and I know people want to write off that, you know, Matt Perk had this great game. And, and Solder improved, and Billy Price was better, and Will Hernandez was good. They weren't. They genuinely weren't. Matt Skur was easily the best offensive lineman on the team on Sunday, and that's really not saying much because even he wasn't particularly wonderful. I'd say average at best in that game. Uh, so, again, credit to Jason Garrett for you know, rolling Daniel Jones out often to the right side, which was, you know, pretty smart. Get the ball out of his hand again, like I said, three-step drops. Anything they could do to just – you know, eliminate the pressure. I don't think that that's, you know, a uh, game plan that's going to work in every single game going forward, but it worked in that one, and they desperately needed that. Yeah, and one thing that happened, Dan, while I was gone, I didn't get to talk to you about, and I've been wanting to, is, you know, that that uh, Joe Judge quote where he's like, you know, a lot of ball left to play, and that was back when they were, what, like one in, one in five at the time, and he says that, and I'm like, what are you talking about, Joe? There's not a lot of ball left. Like, we're done. We're done, right? And, and back in week three, after they lost and went to 0-3, we... We uh, pronounced the Giants dead, this season dead. Uh, so let's reset that right now. So, right, they're 2-5. and five. They're now tied with Washington and Philly in the division. Dallas is in the driver's seat at 5-1 and one now, coming off their bye. But, you know, you look at the NFC standings, and the Vikings and Falcons are tied for the final wildcard spot at 3-3. Three and three. So they're not – I mean, the Giants are one behind in the, in the win column. So are the Giants dead? Is there still a lot of ball to play? Should we reset that take? Well, I'm not ready to reset it just yet, but let me tell you what. If they come out and beat the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday night, which I would have laughed at that at any other point. <laughs> yeah, we... But now I'm looking at that game thinking, boy, injuries aside, they might actually stand a chance in this game. And, you know, we'll reset that clock if they beat the Chiefs because at that point I think it becomes much more realistic conversation to have because, yes, they'll have tough games back-to-back, well, including the bye week in between uh, with the Raiders and the Bucks. But then, you know, as you start looking down the barrel at the rest of their season, there's winnable games. There's two games against the Eagles. There's a game against the Dolphins who are almost remarkably terrible this season. Um, you know, there's a game against Chicago, which I certainly think they can win, a game against Washington that they should win. They should have won the first one. Um, and then the only other game on the second half of the season that really raises a red flag is the game against um, the Chargers. And, you know, you could chalk that one up as a loss, but, you know, there's – you know, there's six potential winnable games in there. If they pick up one of the next three, again, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a 10 and seven, 11 and six season or anything like that. But again, they could finish strong in the second half and in the NFC and the NFC, you just, you never know until the final week. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. Like we know the giants are an elite team. Like we know they're not in this upper echelon with, with all the teams in the NFC that have one loss right now. Right. We, we know they're not there. But are they in that middle pack or are they in the bottom half? And I think we'll find out in this game against Kansas City. We will. If they go up, even well, if they lose and they play well, 
I've been really hesitant to go back and look back and, and give you one of those. Well, there's two di- different plays this season where they could have won two different games. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Uh, and again, if they end up beating the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday night and then we look back on those games, then I'll be much more inclined to say, yeah, you know, they're a competitive team outside of those two blowout losses against, you know, two of the league's best teams. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe at that point, I'll, I'll be willing to look back and say, all right, you know, they're two plays away from having two more wins. And I actually, on that note, let me tell you something. I want to, I do want to reset it back to week two real quick for, for a different reason. After that, you know, uh, Darius Slayton drop in the end zone and everybody was giving Daniel Jones some, some nonsense over the fact that he didn't put it perfectly in his hands. Daniel Jones answered those critics himself with a much more difficult catch uh, over the weekend against the Panthers. So I don't want to hear about that anymore. Yeah, I just don't 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 tell me it was the best catch in Giants history. I saw I saw the jokes about that. Yeah, it's like, yeah, maybe yeah, Dan, that, I'm like, I know Dan Benton yeah. loves Daniel Jones. Maybe he started that rumor. That's the no, best catch in no. Giants history. I respond to that. I said, hey, let, let's pump those brakes a little bit. I don't Let's not go down that road. There's two catches that stand out, but I think Tyrese is probably the one. But uh, a yeah. lot a lot more to get to on the show this week. We'll definitely get into this game against the Chiefs. Do the Giants have a shot? Probably. The Chiefs are playing terribly. Um, and also the trade deadline is is coming up. Dan and I will get into all that coming up next. This is the typical sports book fantasy minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. I'm Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for Week 8. Let's get right into it. Denver Broncos quarterback Teddy Bridgewater versus the Washington football team. The veteran quarterback gets Jerry Judy back in the lineup this week. Washington's tough to run against, but they're much weaker against tight ends and wideouts. With a capable pass-catching tight end in Noah Fant and three deep of legit wide receivers, Bridgewater should find a lot of success in the passing game. The position has averaged a league-high 31.2 fantasy points per game against this defense. And the next closest team, which is Kansas City, has given up only 28. One in every 9.7 completions is a touchdown, and Washington has picked off just one out of every 69 pass attempts. Buffalo Bills running back Zach Moss versus the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo returns from his bye week to face one of the weakest defenses of the running back position. Moss is coming off his worst game of the year with 5.9 PPR points in week 6, so this matchup comes at the perfect time. Miami has allowed a ground score per game on average, and in the last 5 weeks this defense has improved some, giving up neutral stats across the board as its secondary has struggled to contain receivers, but with all of the attention paid to Buffalo's wideouts, Moss should be free to roam inside the red zone. On the other side of this matchup, Jalen Waddle, wide receiver Miami Dolphins at Buffalo Bills. The Bills have the strongest defensive wide receivers in the last five weeks, and only one of 46 catches has crossed the stripe. In week two, these teams met for the first time this year, and Waddle, mind you, it was his second game ever, caught six passes for 48 yards. He has at least as many yards in five of seven games this year, and a hearty 21 targets in the last two contests alone. Buffalo will be content to allow Miami to throw a lot of short area passes in effort to keep them from going over the top, and PPR gamers shouldn't be afraid of the statistical matchup. That said, expect a result cap somewhere in the mid-teens for PPR points. Tight end CJ Ozama, Cincinnati Bengals at New York Jets. There's definite risk in stumping for Ozama, even with a wonderful matchup, just because this offense has so many outlets for the football. The Jets have played really well versus wide receivers, which is Cincinnati's strength, but running backs and tight ends have chewed them up. In the past five weeks, New York has looked a lot more like gangrene than gangrene. Tight ends have averaged 18.8 PPR points on the eighth most catches and yards per game. Two of the 30 catches have scored. While it's 
always a risk that he could get lost in the mix with so many talented weapons around him. The matchup is super bright, and Uzama is a worthwhile play. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Dan, as you said earlier, the injuries keep piling up. The uh, Drabril Peppers news was uh, was tough. You know, he's, yeah. he's kind of having a down year anyway. His snap counts have been weird. We've been talking about it. They're below 60%, and we're just like, what's going on with that? I thought Jabril Peppers, before this injury, would have been a candidate to potentially get moved at the trade deadline. Yeah. You know, this is an interesting story with the Giants, right? They're in this weird in-between where they're they're not exactly a contender, but they're not exactly the worst team in the league either. You know, they're definitely not the worst team in New York. The freaking Jets. They let the Patriots score 54 points. You know you're bad. Uh, but, you know, Gettleman, he's made big deadline moves before, and the Giants have a lot of good players. So if they want to, like, sell off some pieces and, and get some you know draft capital back, this could be a trade deadline where Gettleman makes some moves. Now, we saw it in t- 2019 where he made a midseason trade for Leonard Williams. So it's not like Gettleman doesn't have this in him. And, oh, by the way, when he made that, t- that deal... The Giants were two and six, right? So it's like <laughs> the Giants don't have to have a great record for Gettleman to make moves. Yeah. But I'm wondering, like, is this the year that we see Evan Ingram get moved at the deadline? Is this the year we see, you know, a big name like I saw Saquon Barkley and Will Hernandez floated on Giants wire? I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, if Joe Judge wants to pull off a Bill Belichickian kind of move, maybe James Bradbury, who's kind of had a slow start this year. I know he made a he's made a couple plays, had a nice pick in that Carolina game, but still. It hasn't been like what we expected from James Bradbury. He hasn't been that lockdown corner this year. Maybe moving him, that could be a surprise. Everyone's looking for a corner right now, especially the contending teams. Yeah. So what do you okay. think? Is this, is, this the, is this the year Gettleman kind of surprises us and starts shipping guys off and getting some draft picks back for, for, uh, for the 2022 it's- and 2023 drafts? Well, I'll tell you this. I think it's a very weird situation for the Giants, not just because of their record, uh, but really because of their future. Is Gettleman going to be the general manager next season good point and you know if he's not how many moves do you really want to let him make if he's not going to be the one in control of whatever those trades you know reap in return like so you know you you kind of got to wonder that when you think about you know the trade deadline for the giants how much control is gettleman actually going to have um you know, the indications seem to be that he's going to be in complete control and, and field and phone calls. And when that happens, pretty much everything is on the table. And I thought it was particularly interesting this week that Judge said that the Giants are very much open to being buyers at the trade deadline because he believes in, you know, taking a long-term approach to roster development. And if there's someone out there that he thinks is going to help the roster long-term, he's not going to be afraid to go out and get them. At the same time, they're facing some pretty serious cap issues heading into next season. So trading someone like Bradbury would make sense from a financial aspect, but not necessarily from a roster building aspect. And I know he's had an up and down season so far. I really do think that's largely a product of the lacking pass rush. And we saw what 
the difference that makes last week. Uh, I don't want to, you know, completely whitewash that and say, you know, he hasn't had any of his own faults because he certainly has. But I think that's been a combination issue as opposed to an individual issue. But I still do believe that he has the potential to be traded. There are some other guys on the team, too. Evan Ingram, you brought up. At some point or another, the Giants have to evaluate whether or not the continued investment in Ingram is worth it because I don't think that relationship is necessarily good for them or for him at this point, even though they all love each other. Right. Like he's and, not going to be back next year, right, Dan? Like I think we all kind of know Ingram's probably going to move on it next year anyway. So, I, I think it would be best for him to move on. I, I really do as a player. Listen, he's a very talented player, and that's what makes his the enigma that is Evan Ingram so frustrating. And um, you saw it last week where he should have been able to have a tremendous impact. And listen, I thought he played a good game, but he played a very quiet. Evan Ingram game. game. Yeah, you're right. He yeah. made some flashes, yeah. but it was you know, what we, like, we expect. It should have been an opportunity for him to take real advantage with the rollouts and three-step drops and, and making these mismatches. And, you know, he had a very mundane kind of like meh kind of like game and it's like all right you, you played well in your reps but you didn't make that sort of impact and that's sort of been the story of evan ingram and uh i, I just don't know if this relationship works for either side at this point not to mention that you know you're going to bring ingram back at some point or another he's going to need you know a long-term contract because someone's going to give it to him because someone's going to buy in on that potential and at that point you're going to get into a bidding war now i think what the giants are going to regret and and i don't want to see them make the same mistake with ingram is that they didn't get anything in return for Peppers. Now, Peppers is out for the season. You're not going to be able to trade him at this point. And more than likely, he's going to walk at the end of the season. And, you know, one week prior to the trading deadline, you kind of whiffed on trading him. He got injured. Now you get nothing back. I don't think they're going to want to make that same mistake with Ingram. Yeah, he was the name. Peppers was the name. I was kind of expecting something to happen with him. So it's an awkward place to be if you're a Giants fan, right? So looking at this through the lens of a Giants fan, I kind of want them to be sellers at the deadline. You know, I want them to sell some of these pieces because, you know, I'm looking at like just looking at the season and the schedule and we're talking about the Chiefs game. We're going to talk about that coming up here. But like there's still six teams between them and the wild card. There's this big mash of teams. You've lost to one of those teams, the Falcons. The division, I think, is just completely out of reach because you've already lost the game to Dallas. So, I mean, that's going to be it's going to be hard to get back in the division race. I think that Dallas is going to run away with it. So as a fan, you're looking at this thing and it's like, can we make some moves? Because we're watching not only the Giants, but we're watching the Bears. And the Bears, Dan, wow, what an outfit, right? Matt Nagy, he has no idea what he's doing with his quarterbacks. He, I, I guess he succumbed to the pressure and he's now playing Justin Fields, who's just really struggling. Justin Fields yeah. is really struggling. And the yeah. Bears, yeah, they have a, I think they're three and four right now, but they're on their way down. They're, they're tanking because yeah, yeah, Justin they're, Fields they're is really strong. So as a fan, you're watching where that draft pick's going to be, where your draft pick's going to be right now. You got one pick in the top 10, one pick in the top 20. So it's like, where are those draft picks going to be? What else can we get? Can we move some of these guys? Like, as a fan, I'm kind of rooting for them to be sellers because I don't want them to go all in on this season because I don't think they're actually going to get there at the end. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think that's understandable, but on the opposite end of that coin, on the other side of that coin, rather, you got guys who are, are coaching and playing for their jobs. Yeah, and true. You know, in one breath, you, you've got well, Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge stink and fire them all, and then in the other breath, they're like, well, they should stink. They got to sell, 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 sell. <laughs> and it's like you know, you, you can't play both sides of that same coin. So either you got to root from the win, 
or you know essentially root for them to lose and there is no in between on that so if you want them to be sellers and you're cheering for them to be sellers then you really kind of got to bite your tongue on the fact that they stink so bad you know yeah um but i think that's what it ultimately comes down to if the giants are going to leave gettleman in control at the trade deadline then he's you know it would make sense to him for for him to do whatever is best for him at that point, try and save his job, try to, try, try to bring some players in that can pick up some victories as opposed to, to selling out, uh, bombing out during the rest of the season and then, you know, doing what's best for the organization and not what's best for him. Listen, if he does do that, you know, my hat off to him. That, that would be a really impressive, really like upstanding kind of thing to do, to do what's best for the organization, even though you know that it's essentially going to end your career. Um, I wouldn't put a pass gentleman to actually do that and then retire at the end of the season. But these, this sort of internal flux is what makes predictions at the trade deadline for the Giants so difficult because they did pick up that win. They do have a chance to win on Monday night. The trade deadline is the following day, so what do you do? You know, what do the Giants do in that situation? Do they want to buy or do they want to sell? And I just don't think that I can make that prediction and and be honest with what it is that I'm suggesting because the truth is I don't know and I don't think anybody outside of that building knows. No, they, they are probably the most fascinating team entering that November 2nd deadline for sure. So we'll be watching. You know, I think I'm just scarred, Dan, because the Patriots traded Stephon Gilmore to the Panthers for a six-round pick. And then the Jets turn around and trade a six-round pick, the same compensation the Patriots got for Stephon Gilmore, the Defensive Player of the Year in 2019, Stephon Gilmore. The Jets trade a six-round pick, the same compensation for Joe Flacco. So it's like you've got to be – so I'm just scarred. I'm just feeling – I feel like the Giants can just get – they got to be able to get, like, a great draft pick based on what the Jets are doing, right? So I don't know. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. But it is funny. It doesn't sound like you talk about job security. It doesn't sound like Joe Judge is going anywhere, right? He no, how many times no, did he say the word long term in his uh, presser? I think right. he said it like twenty right. times. Long term, right. long term, long term. And Mara essentially threw his weight yeah. behind Joe Judge anyway. No, no. He basically said, "We still believe in this guy. Nothing has changed in that regard." And that makes me wonder, what, what does that mean for Gettleman then? Because we've talked about this on the podcast too. If you're committing yourself to Joe Judge and you're keeping him and you fire Gettleman, then you're essentially forcing a general manager to take a coach and a quarterback that they may not want. And that's going to thin out the number of options that you have. And then that leads me back to the whole you know, nepotism that is the New York Giants with the family and people already in the building. It makes me wonder, you know, would they then turn to Kevin Abrams? And if they do, what actually changes at that point? So it, it is a very curious situation that the Giants find themselves in, especially with Mary hitching his wagon to, to judge, uh, because that has so many ramifications on a potential general manager search. And um, if you're going to just stick with what you've already got, what's the sense in firing Gettleman at that point anyway, especially if you believe in judge and judge believes in Gettleman. So the Giants, you know, they have a mess on their hands and they've Always. got a lot to figure out. And <laughs> You know, and when, you know, going back to the trade deadline, if that's the way that they're going to approach this, then the smart thing to do for the team, even though I cannot believe I'm actually saying this, would be to buy at the deadline and try to improve your roster moving forward. That's such a great point. Like, how do you predict what the Giants are going to do when you can't predict what they're going to do with the GM? Who's answering the phones this week? Oh, my God. You're right. What a mess. So fascinating. Can't wait to see what the Giants do at the deadline. They're going to do. I think they're going to do something. I just have no idea what it's going to be. Uh, but hey, coming up next, the Giants, nine and a half point road underdogs in Kansas City on Monday night. I want to see what Dan thinks. He's always right. What does Dan think about this matchup? Do the Giants have a chance? We'll do it coming up next. 
This is the Typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slippin' Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicapping homie, Nathan Beagle, to break down this week's Sunday Night Football matchup with the Dallas Cowboys visiting the Minnesota Vikings. Our friends at Typical Sportsbook have the Cowboys favored one and a half. Uh, the Vikings money line is plus 102. The Cowboys money line is minus 125. The over under is 45 and a half. I am on the Vikings plus the points. Actually, I'm just going to take the Vikings outright as a road dog. In the Zimmer era, they're 10-3 and three against the spread as a home underdog. Also, Dallas is 6-0. ATS record is due for some regression. I'm skeptical Dallas's defense is this good, and I like a healthy Minnesota offense to keep pace with the Cowboys. Nate. How do you see the Cowboys-Vikings game playing out? I'm going opposite on you, Jeff. Minnesota has a bottom 10 rush defense. Dallas ranks top three in rush attempts per game. The Cowboys are 5-1 and one and have won four of their last five by six or more. Dak is a surging MVP candidate, and their offense has been on fire. Give me America's team by more than one point. That was your Typico Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Dan, this is a fascinating matchup because the Chiefs, uh, something's happened to the Chiefs. They've lost their way. Like we said earlier, they only scored three points against a Titans team that uh, just are terrible on defense. Uh, and uh, they're only one game better than the Giants. You know, they're, they're at three and four here. So here's my gut instinct before you tell me what's going to happen because you have the crystal ball here with the Giants. You just, <laughs> you just have your finger on the pulse of this team, and I, and I love it. I feel like it's a spot where Kansas City realizes that it can't mess around anymore. And I feel yeah. like you're going to get Kansas City's... I yeah. think you're going to get a good game from Kansas City. And I think if, if Mahomes is healthy, that's the big thing, right? If he's okay and he's playing, because he took that nasty hit to his head and neck area, right? I mean, that was, that was rough. And a lot of it's going to depend on who the Giants get back. What's going on with Saquon? What's going on with Galladay? Shepard, is he going to be able to come back? I feel like the Giants can, can hang if they get their weapons back. But if guys right. are still hurt, I do feel like going to Kansas City, tough environment with Kansas City kind of struggling. I feel like you're going to get you're going to get some haymakers from Kansas City and it's going to come down to can you score? Because I think the Chiefs are going to come out and put up some points. The Giants are going to have to score in the 30s I think if they want to win this game. Can they do it? I don't know. I I'm hesitant. I think I'm still on the Chiefs side, but nine and a half points. It's a lot of points to give the Giants. I I tend to agree with you. I think that the Chiefs are going to come out angry. Uh, almost with a Super Bowl kind of like mentality. Like I they agree. have to get to playoff where they have to win this game. They yep. cannot continue this slide. They know that they're more talented than they're playing. That's just, listen, nobody can make the argument against that. They are an exceptionally talented team. What's going wrong? Ironically, it's a lot of the same issues the Giants are experiencing. But I think when you look roster to roster, especially when you start factoring the injuries, the Chiefs are just substantially deeper and more talented than the Giants are. And they're playing way below expectations, whereas the Giants last week, you know, played above expectations. But you've heard me say that on this show before a million times. The Giants tend to play up or down to the level of their opponent. 
So at nine and a half points, I think that's excessive. I think Vegas is going to take a hit on that one uh, because I do think it's going to be a close game, especially if Tony Galladay, Saquon Shepard come back and maybe there's a little more continuity along the offensive line. If Thomas was actually healthy and not on IR, I might actually go a different route with this, but the offensive line played so terribly last week, and I really don't necessarily know that the Giants are going to be able to scheme away from the pressure in the same way, even though Kansas City's defense isn't exactly setting the world on fire either. But I do think that Kansas City ultimately walks away with the victory just because they absolutely have to. That They cannot lose this game, but I don't think that they're going to you know, have, they're have a 10-point victory over the Giants. I do think it's going to be one of those grind-them-out, maybe ugly at times kind of games uh, that Mahomes just, you know, he, he pulls out his superstar at the very end and, and sends the Giants home with a loss, although not necessarily the dominating loss that Vegas seems to expect. Yeah, I mean, can you really see Mahomes and Kansas City losing to, at home, to this banged-up Giants team to fall to 3-5? and five? Like what? I, I that couldn't would be see a them huge at, story. I, I couldn't see them at three and four no, either. No. Though, so. <laughs> like I said, they're tied with my Patriots. Look at that. Yeah. Look at the Pats. It's, tied it's, with the Chiefs, it's baby. Strange. It is. Love it. And it, it is. You know, it, actually, what it is, it should be a lesson to Giants fans because there's always this talk about how Jones should put the team on his shoulders and and outplay the offensive line and find ways to win. Well, listen, Mahomes is maybe putting up bigger touchdown numbers, but he's having the same exact problems out in out in Kansas City with a terrible offensive line in front of him too. It's not as easy as fans sometimes believe it is. And, you know, the argument is constantly that Mahomes is, you know, a top five, top three quarterback, and some eyes the best quarterback in the league. And he's struggling at times just as much as Jones is behind a bad offensive line. So that shows you firsthand, no matter what your talent level is under center, if those guys in front of you aren't playing well, then you're not going to play well and your team's not going to win. Yeah, no, there's some stats and some keys going into this matchup that are really fascinating. Like the Chiefs, talking about Mahomes here, He's thrown nine interceptions. They've already turned yeah. the ball over, Dan, more times in seven games than they did all of last season, the Chiefs have. Yeah. So well, there's something going on what. there. Yeah, go ahead. That's, that's certainly going to benefit the Giants yeah. because I, I don't know that, it, that this has been brought up, but the Giants have at least one takeaway in every single game this season for the first time in, I don't know, a decade, maybe great, something like that's that. That's a great stat. That's a great and, stat. Got to be opportunistic this week. Right, and Kansas City is turning the ball over at a remarkable rate, so I think that's going to come into play. I think that's going to factor into the outcome of the game. Again, I still think Kansas City is going to win, but for that reason in particular, I think that that nine and a half spread is is a little it's it's a little too much. Okay, yeah, I feel you. I I, I don't want to make a call on the spread yet until I see who the Giants have because my big take here is the Giants have to score um, if they want to hang in this game and hang within single digits and have a chance to win. You should be able to do that, though, if you have your weapons, because the Chiefs have given up 203 right. points already, Dan. Their, their mm-hmm. defense is terrible. Not, yeah, really it's not bad. good. So can you score in the 30s? That's what, I, that's what I want. I'm not sure about the spread yet. I want to see who's healthy. But the total on Tipico, 51 and a half, I'm leaning over. I don't think this is going to be a defensive battle at all. I think the no, Chiefs are going to come out hot, throwing haymakers early, and it's going to be on Daniel Jones and the Giants to kind of match them early and keep the game close. They right. got to start fast. I think the Chiefs will definitely start fast. I think there's right. going to be some points in this game. 51 and a half. Right. I, I love the over. I do too. Huh? And I'm with you. And I'll tell you exactly why too. Because even in a scenario where the Chiefs come out and put up, you know, 30 points or whatever it may be, and their defense, let's assume, magically holds the Giants for three quarters, 
they're so bad on defense. They give up so many points on Terrible. defense. Yep. That once they drop into that prevent defense, even if it's garbage time, the Giants are going to pad the crap out of that score at the end of the game. So one way or another, it seems like this game is destined to go over. All right, man. Hey, it's good to be back here doing the show with you. A Monday night game, that's tough for me, man. That's Bedtime's getting a little earlier now with the newborn baby. <laughs> so I'm going to try to, have to try to stay up for this one. I th- I, this is going to be an interesting game. i got to try to keep... Man, but getting past ten thirty at night now, whew, it's tough. It's tough. I'm on baby I'll tell time. Tell you what, though, if uh, if the Giants do somehow find a way to win next week's show, is going to be electric. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. So, hey, great to be back for Dan. I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us again. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Say hi to Dan on Twitter too. He loves that kind of thing. The Giants Wire, um, and we will be back next week. Talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.